we are going to be in Acts 21, the last six verses, I believe. Um, so I, I want to kind of contextualize this for you. Acts, uh, fully a quarter of the book of Acts, which is all about the early church. The last quarter of the book is all about the defense speeches of Paul, where he stands before various uh, groups or individuals to defend his Christian faith. And then also uh, uh, intermingled in there is the journey to Rome, where Acts ends with Paul in, uh, under house arrest in Rome. So obviously Luke, the inspired author, thinks this is an important part of Paul's life and ministry, these defense speeches and this journey to Rome. And like Jesus, Paul is going to stand before several of the same groups. He's going to stand before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling Jewish council in Jerusalem. Uh, he's also going to stand before uh, the Roman governor, uh, two different Roman governors, a Jewish king in Agrippa. We'll look at that a little bit later. But first, before he goes before any of these leaders, he's going to stand before the crowds in Jerusalem and he's going to defend his Christian life and ministry by simply sharing his story. And that's what we're going to look at today. So story is going to be a theme that we look at today. And if you haven't noticed this, especially in the information age with podcasts and true crime and everything else we've got going on, our culture is absolutely obsessed with storytelling. Am I right? I'm right. Yes, you see it. You see it. Amen. That's right. We're not an amen church, but you can amen that, Aaron. Uh, we are. We're every, every, everywhere you turn, it's about how can you uh, tell your story better, whether you're a business or whether you're an individual, whether you're on social media, whether it's your website design, whatever it is. We're obsessed with story, but that's nothing new. We just have this habit of rediscovering things in the 21st century. But in reality, human beings have been telling stories for millennia. All right. Uh, ever since the start of humanity, we've been telling stories as humans. And so that's nothing new. And in today's passage, Paul's speech, people that study these types of things, uh, uh, rhetorical structures and things, he's technically doing what's called a forensic uh, rhetoric. So this is an example of forensic rhetoric. I don't know exactly what that means. I'll tell you what he's doing from my perspective. He's telling a story. He's telling his story to these crowds in Jerusalem. And this forensic rhetoric, what sets it apart as a defense speech is that it's used to defend something or to uh, it's used for apologetic purposes. You've heard that word apologetics, like Christian apologetics. It's basically a defense of the faith. And so this is what he's doing, but the way he's doing it is by sharing his story in a compelling way, hoping to connect with people in his audience. And as Christians, the Christian life is really about telling stories. We are a story, storytelling people. Now certainly that, that's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news that he was incarnated, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins on the cross, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he's going to come back. That's what the Christian faith is all about. So yes, it's the story of Jesus, but for each one of us as Christians, we really have two stories to tell. Every human being, I don't care who you are, whether you're Christian or not, you've got a story to tell about where you're from, about the origins of your life. We're going to talk about that. But if you've bowed the knee to Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and a reconciled relationship with God for eternal life, then you've got another story to tell as well. And that's the story of the origination of your new life in Christ. It's your faith story. You might hear people talk about that from time to time. So we're going to consider how Paul tells these two stories, his life story, the origin story, but also the, the origination of his faith story in today's passage. That's what we're going to be looking at. So, we tell about the origin of our life 
Why? So that we can feel better about ourselves? No. We, we tell about our origins, where we're from, in order to connect with people. Remember, we're storytelling people, but storytelling is a way to relate to one another. And so we tell about the origin of our life to connect with others. And that, that origin of life story is the story of our family. It's the story of maybe our ancestors going back further than just our parents and our nuclear family. It's the story of our community that we were raised in or grew up in, maybe multiple communities if you were on the move. It's the story of our culture, our country of origin, where we're from. And this story, it answers questions like, who are you? Somebody says, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your people? That's what we're getting at with this idea of a, a story of our life, the origin of our life. And in today's passage, we're going to see two aspects of Paul's origin story. I love the book of Acts because it's a historical narrative. You also learn a lot about Paul in his letters. He shares a lot of insights about his life and, and travels and such. But in the book of Acts, we get plenty of where Paul is from, the kind of person he, 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 the kind of people he comes from. So the two things that he's going to include are his country of origin and his culture of origin. His country and his culture. So all of us have a country of origin, all right? Now, I don't, maybe you were born on an island that's unincorporated with a nation state or something like that. But for the most part, we're all born someplace in some nation state, some political boundary, right? We have a, a, a country of origin. And this is simply where we come from. This is the geography of our origins, in Acts 21, 39, at the end of Acts 21, remember, Paul is saved from the crowds by this Roman commander, this, this commander of 2,000 Roman soldiers, comes down with probably about 200 soldiers to save Paul. He eventually carries Paul, because of the violence of the crowd, into the barracks, and he's sort of asking him these questions. And Paul tells that Roman commander that he is a citizen of the city of Tarsus, the capital city of Cilicia. And I think we have a map. At least we do on the beautiful sheet I printed out. Yeah, there it is. So this looks at Paul's early travels. Up in the north there, it's kind of the armpit of the Mediterranean basin. Uh, I wouldn't tell Paul that, but um, that's Tarsus. And that's the capital city of Cilicia. It was part of the ancient Hittite kingdom. It was part of the Assyrians, the Persians, the, the Greeks, the Romans. It's had a lot of different empires over it. But it's, it's a, a fertile little plain along a river just uh, next to the Taurus Mountains. And uh, that's where Paul's from. That's where he was born. And of course, eventually, he, he moves from there. But that's his home, home uh, city. And then in verse uh, chapter 29, at the end of our passage today, uh, 23 through 29, those verses, Paul adds this little detail that he was born into Roman citizenship. Now, this isn't like the United States, right, where you're born here and you, you have citizenship. Roman citizenship was much more like the UAE or someplace where you could be born there, but that does not mean that you're a citizen of the UAE, right? They hold that pretty closely. So in the Roman world, there's various ways to get your Roman citizenship, but once you got it, that was a big deal. And so probably what happened with Paul, it's not just because he was born in this free city called Tarsus, it's probably because his father or grandfather rendered some special service to the Roman Empire. And, and they gained their citizenship, and thus their son, grandson, had Roman citizenship when he was born. And so he adds that in there. Roman citizenship helped Paul accomplish his calling to lead others to Christ. Paul made use of 
the fact that he was a Roman citizen in order to accomplish this calling that, that Christ had given him to share the good news with other people. I mean, go back to Acts chapter 16 in Philippi when Paul gets uh, unjustly abused after casting the evil spirit out of the slave girl and he gets beaten and thrown in prison in Philippi. You remember what he doesn't tell them right away? He doesn't tell them right away that he was a Roman citizen. He waits until they're ready to send him on his way after unjustly treating him. He does the same thing here. He waits until they've unjustly bound him in chains and they're about to stretch him out and flog him half to death. And that's when he drops the fact that he's a Roman citizen. Paul is strategic about that. Paul, the reason being is because they were scared to death that they had unjustly treated a Roman citizen. You don't do that in the Roman Empire. So that gave him an advantage relationally in his interactions with these local authorities, both in Philippi and in Jerusalem now. And this is exactly what we see at the end of today's passage. Look at the last, the last verse in today's passage in twenty-two twenty-nine. It says, Therefore, those who were about to interrogate him, read, beat him mercilessly, immediately backed away from him. And the commander also, that's the commander of 2,000 Roman soldiers, was also afraid when he found out that Paul was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. So in all of this, the city he was born in, the citizenship he was born with, it's important to consider where we come from. That's going to play into how God works in and through our lives, but it's also important to consider who we come from. So who do we come from? We all have a culture of origin. Now, you might have grown up in a multicultural setting, in a multicultural city, in a multicultural family, but to some degree, we all have an original culture that we were born into. This includes the customs, the traditions, the social institutions that you were raised with. Uh, it includes the achievements of a particular nation or people group. It doesn't have to be a nation, but this is our culture of origin. And for Paul, racially and ethnically speaking, Paul was a Jewish man. In fact, the entire early church up to a point was all Jewish, men and women and children, okay? Paul certainly was Jewish. He studied and knew the Aramaic dialect ever since the, the, the uh, Persians were over uh, uh, Israel and Jerusalem. People in Judea, in this area, in the, the Palestine, what we'd call it, have spoken Aramaic. That was the, the lingua franca. That was the common speech of the Persian Empire going all the way back to uh, Darius and Cyrus and some of these guys we read about in the Old Testament. So everybody in Paul's day, in Jesus's day, in first century Jerusalem, they're all, some of them can read and speak Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, but most of them are speaking a Hebrew dialect of Aramaic, that Persian language, okay? So Paul had grown up learning that Aramaic dialect, which was spoken by his fellow Jews in Judea. And this allowed him to effectively communicate with these crowds in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 22, verse 2, Luke writes this. He says, And when the crowds heard that Paul was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, most likely the Hebrew dialect of Aramaic, they became even more quiet. So they realized he speaks our language. And they, they hushed so that they could hear what he was saying. So as Paul spoke to the crowd, he goes on to further emphasize his Jewish heritage. In uh, 22, 1 through 3, he basically begins his defense speech, not in a uh, us and them, me and you, kind of separate myself from you, but saying, I'm one of you. He starts it by calling them his brothers and fathers, because they're Jewish and he's Jewish. He goes on to explain that he was brought up in Jerusalem, 
and had a strict education in the Jewish law at the feet of the famous rabbi Gamaliel, the elder. And we met him back in chapter 5. You remember Gamaliel? He's the guy that says, leave these apostles alone. If this is not of God, it's not going to work. But if it is of God, you might find yourself fighting against God. That was Paul's mentor. That was the rabbi that he learned the Jewish law at the feet of and the oral Torah at the feet of. And Paul was a faithful Jewish man who had always been zealous in his obedience to the one true God of Israel. He did not see himself as a bad Jew. He saw himself as a faithful Jewish man who always made obedience to and worship of the one true God of Israel his life's goal, his, his priority. And so uh, he likened himself to the folks in the crowd that day. He said, I get why you're upset. I get why these things are so important to you. You know, you want to glorify the one true God of Israel. So he's identifying with the people in the crowd that day. But folks, Paul was not born in Judea. Paul was not born in Palestine, in that area around Jerusalem. He was born again in Tarsus. And that was a renowned center of education and learning. And by the way, um, some people have said that Tarsus was more of an educational mecca in the Greco-Roman world than Alexandria in Egypt or Athens in Greece. So this was a major uh, center for education and learning that he was born in. And it's really not clear how long Paul... I I don't want to speculate. I always try and tell you guys... Uh, if this is speculation, we don't know how long Paul lived in Tarsus and when exactly he went to Jerusalem. But it seems like based on his understanding of the Greek language, he spoke and wrote fluent Greek, uh, his understanding of Greek philosophy and rhetoric and culture, it suggests that he at least spent most of his childhood in this Greek city of Tarsus before going maybe when he was 12 or 13 or in his teens, to Jerusalem to be educated under the rabbi Gamaliel. In Acts chapter 21, 37 to 39, it says, Paul is suspected of being uh, uh, an unsophisticated Egyptian revolutionary. Three years prior to this, this Egyptian guy with a group called the Assassins, like that's just one of those cool little side notes in the Bible. They're actually called dagger men. They were named after these Roman daggers. And they would go in crowds with these cloaks on and these daggers. And they would stab Roman citizens and leaders and things like that. They were revolutionaries. They were violent revolutionaries. And this guy had led like thousands of people out into the country saying he was a prophet of God and saying he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and stuff. And they ended up, wiped, the Romans wiped out all his followers, but he escaped. And so three years later... This uh, Roman commander is suspecting that maybe this is that guy come back to Jerusalem. Uh, But that guy was this unsophisticated Egyptian revolutionary, right? And so this is what Paul is assumed to be until he explains his origin story in perfect fluent Greek, revealing his cultural sophistication. And then the commander says, oh, you speak Greek? Wow, you speak really good Greek. You must not be that Egyptian revolutionary I thought you were. So like Paul, we tell about the origin of our life, where we're from, who we're from, in order to connect with different people in different ways. We are a relational people. That's how God made us. But as Christians, we are certainly called to relationship. Um, Speaking of stories, on Friday, I told you all I smashed my glasses, so that's why I'm always wincing and looking and uh, I can't read very well right now. But in order, we switched uh, insurances to an HMO, so now I got to get an authorization to go to an optometrist. So I was told my, my doctor wasn't in this network and I had to find a new doctor. So long story short, 
I go to this doctor's office to meet this new doctor to establish care on Friday. She's really, really sweet, uh, wonderful doctor. And one of the first things she wants to know, which I appreciated, was tell me about yourself. Like, you're establishing care with me. I want to know something about you. Where are you from? What do you do for a living, right? And so I mentioned that I was a pastor of a church that meets at my son's school, Laurel Mountain. And as it turns out, her daughter goes here. And so we started talking about the LME fall carnival coming up and stuff. And it was like this immediate connection that we made just because she asked me about my story. And just in that brief little exchange, we made a connection there and uh, found out that we live in the same neighborhood and our kids go to the same school. She had my kids third grade teacher last year, you know, her, her daughter did. So um, I read this article in Forbes online and the article was called... Um, I think it was called Three Reasons Why Storytelling Should Be a Priority for Marketers. So this is all about the business world, marketing. It's all for like CMOs and stuff. But I really like what the author wrote. She said, um, she said, storytelling enables marketers to develop a deeper connection with the audience. Storytelling is a fundamental human experience that unites people and drives stronger, deeper connections. Again, nothing new here, Right. But now we're starting to apply these things to marketing. It's like, hey, we discovered storytelling works. Like, yeah, right, for thousands of years we've known that. But now it's being applied in marketing contexts, right? So I think she's exactly right, but storytelling is for more than just marketing. When we tell stories, it's not just to sell a product or to sell our services or whatever else. In today's passage, Paul was not marketing himself, okay? I don't feel comfortable marketing myself, right? Neither did Paul. He wasn't doing that just to make himself more well-known or something like that. He was making connections with his audience, whether that was a Roman commander who was about to flog him half to death, uh, who suspected him of terrorism, or if it was an angry crowd of fellow Jews in Jerusalem that he could identify with culturally and ethnically. Either way, his goal was not to market himself, but to make those connections with these people. Paul was a Greek-speaking Roman citizen from Tarsus in Cilicia, but he was also an Aramaic-speaking Jew who was brought up in Jerusalem and trained in Jewish law at the feet of one of the most well-respected rabbis of his day. And so needless to say, Paul had a diverse origin story that helped him make tons of connections with tons of people and influence all sorts of different types of people along the way throughout his life and ministry. So the application for us today is what's your story? You know, I think this is one of those things where we really do overlook one of the most valuable gifts we've been given by God, and that is our story. What's your story? Where are you from? Who are you from? Don't be ashamed of where you're from or who you're from. Just know that this is your story. This is one of the most valuable things that you have to share with someone. What experiences have you had along the way? Even difficult things like tragedy, loss, um, broken relationships, health issues, mental health struggles, addictions. I mean, whatever. Even those really difficult things that we go through, ultimately, they give us opportunities to connect in real, authentic ways with other human beings that have gone through those same things. All of these things can be redeemed as aspects of our stories, which can ultimately be used by God in connecting us to others. I'm not saying it's purely utilitarian. Your story is valuable just for the sake of it being your story, okay? 
the good stuff, the, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff. But what I am saying is it's also valuable in building relationships and making connections with people. So we need to tell our stories. Don't discount any aspect of your origin story. That's the great thing about Christianity. It's like we don't have to be ashamed of our mistakes. We don't have to try and hide all the bad stuff and present this kind of resume self to the world. Like we can embrace our mistakes. Not that we're proud of them, but Christ died for it, right? We can embrace the fact that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And so guess what? We sinned, and we still do, even with Christ. We're not proud of that, but that's part of our story, okay? But we don't have to carry around the guilt and shame, which, honestly, that's what keeps us from sharing our story a lot of the times, is we're so ashamed of it, the things we've done, etc. So instead of discounting some aspect of your story and trying to put forward sort of the the self-marketing approach to yourself, the resume version of yourself. Instead, prayerfully consider how it might allow you to make connections with other people in this life right now for the glory of God and ultimately for the good of others. We tell the story of our origins in order to connect with others. But folks, that's not the only story we have to tell. As Christians, we also have another even more important story to tell. We tell about the origin of our faith, not to connect with others for purely relational reasons, but to connect others with Christ, just like we've been connected with Christ through faith. And there are three basic elements of a faith story. We talk about this in a lot of ways, personal testimonies, faith story, different ways of talking about this. But basically, there's three different elements of our faith story. There's before Jesus, Jesus, and guess what? After Jesus. And we all have that as Christians. Before Jesus, Jesus, and then after Jesus. So our faith story begins before Jesus, all right? The scripture says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, that we are separated in our unholiness from our holy God. And in that state, we need a savior. We need Jesus to die for our sins, to pay the penalty, to reconcile us with our creator, to reestablish relationship with God, the source of life, to give us eternal life through faith in him. And so before Jesus, we don't have that. In other words, what were we like before believing in him? Now, listen, some people come to faith early, and I think that's great. I mean, that's what I would aspire to, is that my kids would never remember a time before they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I think that'd be fantastic. So maybe you come to faith at four at camp, or or maybe, I don't know, you come to faith in your 40s through some crisis in your life or something like this. But A lot of us have memories of what it was like before Christ. A lot of us have memories of what it was like to have this guilt and shame for our mistakes and our sin and our shortcomings and not know what to do with it. That person can't forgive us. We can't forgive ourselves. What do we do, right? Some of us remember that. Some of us remember what it was like to do everything you could to fill up your life with purpose and meaning and ultimately still feel empty and purposeless and ultimately meaningless in life. Some of us remember that because we came to faith a little bit later in life. Regardless of when you came to faith, it doesn't matter. There's still a point before Jesus, whether you can articulate it or not. And I love how Paul talks about it. Paul, by the way, (laughs) Paul is in the same spot that Stephen was in at the beginning of Acts when Paul, whose name back then was Saul, was holding everybody's coats while they were stoning Stephen to death under false pretenses with false testimony. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, got put to death by Paul, the one who brought 
the church out to the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. And so now Paul finds himself in the shoes of the one, the one that he once persecuted, Stephen. And this is how he talks about what his life was like before Christ. He talks about persecuting the church. And he explains this in chapter 22, verses 4 and 5. He says, I persecuted this way. He's referring to Christ and the church. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council, he's talking about the Sanhedrin council of the elders, can testify. In other words, these men who are still in charge of things in Jerusalem, they all knew me when I was killing Christians and throwing them in prison. From them, I also received letters to the brothers, that's the Jewish brothers, uh, and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there in Damascus to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He was hardcore. He was zealous for persecuting the church, and he admits that. So that was before Jesus for Paul. Then our faith story centers on meeting Jesus. And this is where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done in his person and work, this is where that good news intersects our life. And this, this is where our story centers. This is the point, the, the point of conversion. You hear that word all the time. This is the inflection point. Paul tells this story in two parts. So in verses 6 to 11 in chapter 22, Paul describes meeting Jesus in a blinding vision on the road to Damascus. And you've heard this in pop culture too. It's this idea that this blinding vision, he's struck blind, and uh, he talks about it in verses 6 through 11. But basically we covered it back in Acts 9. That's the actual part of the narrative where that happens. But it's worth pointing something out. Paul seemed to accept Jesus as his Lord during that initial meeting. Remember, he says, who are you, Lord? And he's, he's referring to Jesus as Lord. It's like he, he realizes that God is talking to him. This divine character is speaking to him out of the heavens in a blinding light, which was uh, a marker for the presence of God, the, the glory of God being present. Okay, And so he says, Lord, who are you? And then this voice answers, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the one you're persecuting. He identifies personally with all of us as Christians. He says, you're persecuting me, Saul. And then he goes on to call him Lord again. So it seems like he's accepting that Jesus is his Lord. And so then uh, through Ananias, so Paul obediently goes, uh, the Lord, and I love this too. All these little sides. He doesn't receive sight right there from Jesus directly. Jesus sends him to a member of the church, a, a Christian, a fellow Christian in Damascus, Ananias, to lay hands on him, pray over him so that he can receive his sight back. And so Jesus sends him back into Damascus where he was going to persecute Ananias. Now he's going to get his sight back from Ananias. And, uh, and so Paul does receive his sight. And then he's told by Ananias to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, calling on the name of Jesus. And Ananias also explains that the God of our fathers, he's talking about the God of Israel, the, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had appointed Paul to know his will, to see and hear from the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to be a witness for Jesus to all people. So that's the center point of our faith story, is when we meet Jesus and hear the gospel and believe. And then our faith story continues after meeting Jesus. So we're saved, but we're not just given our golden ticket to heaven and just put on the bench somewhere waiting for Jesus to come back or us to die and go up to heaven. That's not what it's about. We're saved and then we're sent out to others for the sake of Christ and for his mission. 
So Paul finished his faith story with an account of how the Lord had sent him out as a witness. So in verses 17 to 21, Paul explains that he received a message from God while praying in the temple in Jerusalem. This would have resonated with the Jewish crowd that was there uh, at the temple so mad at Paul, okay? Because he, 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 being a Jewish man, he was in the Jewish courts as a Jewish man praying to the God of Israel, Yahweh, and he receives a vision at the temple. This would have resonated with them. And so early in his new life in Christ, Paul is, is sent away from Jerusalem because why? He's sent away because Jesus says that the people there will not yet accept his testimony about them. They're not going to accept his testimony about Jesus, even though they knew that he had formerly persecuted this church and had people put to death like Stephen, and God had done a complete 180 in his life, and now he's sharing the gospel and growing the church, even though there's that night and day transformation conversion. Jesus says, they're still not going to receive your testimony about me. And so in verse 21, the Lord reveals his plan for Paul. He says, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. These are the, the non-Jewish people, the nations. And unfortunately, guys, that's as far as Paul gets in his faith story before the crowds. Because at the mention of the offer of God's salvation to Gentiles apart from Judaism, this was a big deal. Not having to come through Judaism to receive salvation from Yahweh for the Gentiles. At the mention of that, the crowds in Jerusalem explode with anger. And in verse 22, Luke writes, They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a man from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Probably the same thing he said about Stephen when Stephen was sharing these things. So like Paul, we tell our faith stories to connect others with Christ by sharing the good news of the gospel. But there's always a chance that some will reject Jesus. Guys, you can't make somebody believe in Jesus. You know, you don't, you don't just your winsomeness and your intellectual ability and your ability to reason, all these things just convinces people. Guys, that's a work of God in people's heart. He's going to soften our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive Christ, to believe in him. And it takes humility that we can't conjure up for ourselves. And he does that. But it's not up to us. That's not our business. Our business is to, is to connect people with Christ by sharing the gospel, by telling them about not just what he did 2,000 years ago, but what he's doing in and through our lives today. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing. So there's always a chance that some will reject Jesus, just like what happened with Paul. Uh, every week, I've been meeting with John Cartwright and Carl and Connor and Manny um, what we're calling a cohort, it's basically leadership development, spiritual development, and we're trying to be intentional about growing in our faith together. They had some extra time on Fridays after our elder meetings, and uh, we've been meeting uh, to talk about some things. And one of the things that we're working on is to write out our faith story, what we're talking about today, in less than 100 words. That's not easy. Write out your faith story in less than 100 words and share it with at least three non-Christian people this fall. It could be friends, family, neighbors, whatever. But it's a challenge because it, it forces us to think through our faith story. Like, what were we like before Jesus? How did we meet Jesus? What has life been like since? And I told him, I'm like, don't pull that thing where you meet Jesus and then everything's perfect and you never have struggles or doubts or anything ever again. So we're trying to be real, but it's really hard in less than 100 words. So I don't have mine quite down to 100 yet. Um, pardon me, guys. I'm working on it. 
But I've already been reminded of how my faith story has been used by God in so many ways to connect me with so many other people in my life, and, and then also in connecting them with Christ. I've had the honor and privilege of sharing both my, my story of my life's origins and, as well as my faith story with lots and lots of people. So before Christ, I'll just give you a little snippet of it. Uh, I grew up in Austin. I grew up thinking, I, we actually attended a church, I grew up thinking that Christianity was merely about trying to be a good person. It was all moralism, do good stuff, don't do bad stuff, you know, you're not really bad like Adolf Hitler, so God's probably got some sort of something worked out for you in eternity, right? Um, I didn't think about it. I thought God is kind of like a concept, not like a personal being, okay? So that's what I grew up with as I grew up in Austin. Uh, As a young adult, after I graduated high school, I pursued politics. Uh, I was a government major, poli-sci major at UT. I worked at the Capitol. I worked on uh, campaigns, a campaign. Uh, and then I burned out on politics, which is easy to do, uh, it seems. And then uh, I, I tried to pursue success elsewhere in a, a tech startup up in Fort Worth. So I moved up there to take a sales job with this little entrepreneurial startup. And again, it was all about success from a worldly perspective. It was making money, finding pleasures, basically self-gratification and, and, and winning people's respect through my sales figures, right? So I went up there to do that. I was still empty. I lacked meaning and purpose, even though I had money and pleasure galore. And then I was invited to this church that my cousin and his family were attending, and they preached the gospel, stuff I had not heard as a kid, or at least I wasn't listening to as a kid if they did say it. But I heard that Jesus Christ was my Savior, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I never thought of myself as a sinner separated from God. I never thought I needed a Savior. I'm not that bad of a guy, right? But here I was confronted with my sin, and the reason for my emptiness and purposelessness is that I didn't have a relationship with my Creator. And so I ended up, long story short, trusting in Christ at a pub one day. And, uh, and then I got involved in church ministry. I eventually liked it so much. I taught fifth grade Sunday school, what Carl and John are doing with my son. And uh, eventually quit my job and applied to seminary, got a seminary degree. And then, and in that time, God blessed me with an amazing wife and three kids. And then uh, he led us back to Austin. He called us back to Austin to share that good news with other people and to start a church called Wayside. And so that was my faith story. And of course, it continues on from there, but that's kind of it. But I think about all those different things that helped me connect with other people whether it was the politics or the business, working at a startup, feeling purposeless, uh, pursuing money, growing up in Austin. There's all these different ways God's connecting with people. So my challenge to all of you today is to consider the value of your own faith story. Think about what life was like before Jesus. And again, maybe you came to faith when you're four and you don't even remember what it was like without Jesus. And that's awesome. Share that. But certainly, you met Jesus at some point, and since then, he's been at work in your life. So think about the value of your own story. And again, whether it was in your 40s through a crisis, some of us have these night and day spectacular conversion stories where it's like we're robbing a bank, and Jesus appears to us in bright light and blinds us, and you know, it's like Paul on the road to Damascus. Not everybody has that testimony, okay? And great. But either way, if you came to faith at four at at a backyard Bible club or, or a camp or something, or you got blinded during an armed robbery or or in prison or something. Either way, God gets glory for your story because it's a miracle. If you've gone from death to new life in Christ, that's a miracle. And tell that story and give God the glory for it. 
Uh, Fanny Crosby, I'll end with this. Fanny Crosby, who wrote like thousands of hymns. I don't even know how she had time to write so many hymns. But she wrote one called Blessed Assurance. um, And it goes like this. It says, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And then the refrain starts. And it says, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Folks, if you're in Christ, then I want you to walk away today knowing that you have two stories that you have the privilege of telling in this life on this earth. You were born somewhere to a certain group of people, but then you were purchased by the blood of Christ. You were born again through the Holy Spirit, and you were brought into the family of God the Father as his adopted son or daughter and as a co-heir with Christ of eternity and the kingdom of God. And my prayer is that we can all tell our versions, because we all have a unique version of how that story works its way out in our life, that we can all tell our versions of that story to lots and lots of people for a long, long time. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church. Um, So be thinking about that. Uh, Next week, we are going to see uh, things get a little spicy. Uh, Paul's going to go before the Sanhedrin that he used to work on behalf of, and uh, and it's going to get a little spicy, I'll just warn you. And then a plot is actually formed to uh, take him out, to assassinate him. So we'll be looking at that next week.